Psalm 4. Answer me when I cry. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will lie. I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for all that you do in and amongst our church. And I pray, Lord, that as we dive into your word, that you would open our hearts and our minds so that we may see how merciful you are to or towards your people and how we can have peace that can only be found in you. No matter the circumstances that are constantly occurring around us, Lord, may we find rest and comfort in you. Also, may you be glorified in both the preaching of your word, but also as a people, how we respond to your word. Lord, I also pray for the people who cannot be here with us today whether due to traveling, sickness, or other circumstances. May you grant healing and comfort to our pastor and his family and our deacons and their families while they are fighting this illness, Lord. In your precious, glorious name we pray. Amen. You may take a seat. So a question I have for us this afternoon is, what do we think in the face of opposition? Now, do we trust that the Lord will be our comforter and our provider? where we stay up all night stressing about scenarios that may never occur? Do we earnestly pray for those who are causing our opposition, or do we remain angry and curse them with our actions and with our lips? So church, especially us here today, right now, um, we have become way too familiar with having to remain flexible during this season. Uh, we've moved from building to building. We've adjusted our, our start time. Um, we've had various people come in and, and help teach and lead us. But throughout it all, our Lord is actively comforting and actively uh, providing for us. The Lord has given our church both men and women who are willing to stand up and serve at every opportunity. So I want us to take some time this afternoon and to look at an overarching theme that is found in Psalm 4. Right, so despite the stress, Christians specifically can rest in peace knowing that the Lord is both our comforter and our helper. If you are not a Christian this afternoon, I earnestly pray that the Lord will open your heart and reveal himself to you. And also, I earnestly pray that you will join this family of believers, that you can have the same comfort and the same peace that David has in Psalm 4 and that other Christians have. So we're going to have six points this afternoon. Yes, six. Um, three of these are going to be points that are going to be various characteristics that we can read about of the Lord. And the other three are going to be things we can do. They'll be calls to actions. So for the first point, the Lord grants righteousness to us. Point one is the Lord grants righteousness to us. Psalm 4, verse 1, David writes, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. 
Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So this psalm that David's writing is ultimately a prayer to the Lord. Um, it's, est- it's estimated that during this time, David is fleeing from Absalom and is battling against a, a revolt that has sort of occurred in uh, the Absalom, or I'm, I'm sorry, that yeah, Absalom has conjured up. And we can read about this, this event in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18. Obviously, we're not going to read all that this afternoon. But it's estimated that during this revolt is when David is writing this psalm. So essentially, David is crying out to the Lord in distress. David is expressing deep confidence in the Lord, and he writes out a list of important characteristics and expounds upon a very important theological truth. So when David opens up with this psalm, he says, Answer me when I call. But then he's showing adoration and, he's, and giving God honor when he writes, O God of my righteousness. So who does David call out to? The God of my righteousness. David is saying that it is the Lord who is granting this righteousness, that is providing David with this righteousness. It is the Lord that is actively sustaining David's righteousness and thus sustaining our righteousness. Apart from the Lord, we have no righteousness on our own. David firmly believes this. And uh, David writes in Psalm, both in Psalm 14.1 and in Psalm 53.1, he writes, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abdominal deeds. There is none who does good. The Apostle Paul quotes this in, in Romans um, in Romans 3. He's quoting from, Psalm, uh, quoting from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 when Paul writes, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. Then we ask ourselves, how is then David able to make this claim? This claim of God of my righteousness. The imperative verb for God to answer David when he calls shows who the owner of his righteousness is. For those who like fancy theological terms, uh, the concept of this is called imputation. Not amputation, not impartation, but imputation. Dr. R.C. Sproul said, and I quote, We look to the scriptures and see that when Paul explains the doctrine of justification, he goes back to the Old Testament, to Genesis 15. There are scriptures of Adam. He believed God and accounted to him for righteousness, Genesis 15.6. When Paul develops the doctrine of justification by faith alone, He's saying that when God counts somebody righteousness or righteous on the basis of truth, it is not because he looks at them and sees that they are inherently righteous. Rather, they have been clothed by the imputation or the transfer of the righteousness of Christ to that person by faith. This is why we see that the single meritorious cause of our salvation is the transfer or counting of Jesus' righteousness for me. Not only did he die to pay the penalty for my sins, but he lived a perfect life of obedience and fulfilled the law for those who put their trust in him. End quote. Going back to David, David calls upon the Lord because he has been given, uh, because the, uh, the Lord has been faithful in the past. So David writes, You have given me relief when I was in distress. You see, David trusts that the Lord was going to answer his prayer. He trusts that the Lord will be the same today as he was yesterday, and he will be the same in the future. David also recognizes that this salvation belongs solely to the Lord, and it is the Lord who has granted David this salvation. 
So because the Lord does not change, David can remain confident in that the Lord will continue to sustain and provide in times of need and in times of distress. Because the Lord does not change, we too can have this confidence that the Lord will continue to sustain and to provide in times of our need and in times of distress. So now that, the door, the, the, that David has asked the Lord to hear his prayer, I want us to, to take a look at really the heart of David as he's praying for his enemies, as he's praying for those who are persecuting him. But let's also not miss more of these characteristics of the Lord as we move into remaining points. So point number two is the Lord shows favor towards the godly. The Lord shows favor towards the godly. Psalm uh, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. See, David opens up this psalm with, with a prayer. Uh, from verses 2 through 5, David switches from the psalm of, uh, switches to an opening of a prayer, but now he's giving an exhortation. He's now addressing the men that are persecuting him, the very same men that are shaming him. So these men that David refers to, like I said earlier, is probably the army that Absalom has conjured up to have David overthrown. So those who don't know the story in 2 Samuel, so Absalom was spreading rumors stating that David is unfit to be king. David was unfit to be king because Absalom states that he was slow to provide justice. So Absalom, he goes out amongst the people and he starts to spread these rumors saying that David will not provide for, will not provide for them in times of need because he was unable to extend a punishment towards Amon for violating his sister, Tamar. That is the story we read about in 2 Samuel. So David is pleading with them here, asking, how long? How long will you continue to believe these empty claims, these deceitful lies? The suffering has gone on long enough. And in David's mind, there is no end in sight for them. David, at this point, he's getting tired of being persecuted. He's tired of feeling like he's constantly fighting against these lies. The question we should stop and ask ourselves is, how often do we also feel tired of being persecuted? Do we respond with anger? Or do we respond by placing our trust in the Lord? Right at the, the end of verse 2, we see this, this word, this small word, Selah. And this word is used to interject and change the pace and the tone of David's exhortation. Right? David interjects this natural flow of pleading with these men to stop their persecution. Now we really start to see David set up a call for these men to repent. David has already proclaimed that the Lord is righteous. He has proclaimed that the righteousness is granted by the Lord. So David writes out, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Who does David say that the godly are set apart for? It says, for the Lord. We have a righteous God. We have a righteous God who has created two unique and distinct people groups. We have the ungodly on one hand, and we have the godly on the other. So the Lord sets apart. He literally is making a distinction between these two people groups. Next half of verse 3, David writes, The Lord hears when I call to him. You know, why does David have such confidence that the Lord will hear his prayer? So David trusts in the, in the righteousness of the Lord. 
He trusts that Yahweh has separated him from his foes. So when the Lord grants us, us when, when the Lord grants us righteousness, we are eternally placed under the Lord's care and his watch. We are eternally adopted as children of God. And because the Lord grants righteousness to us, we are saved. You know, it is the active, it is the sovereign power of the Lord that keeps us as a child of God. Now, our first two points have been, we've seen two characteristics of the Lord. Now, the next point that we finally get to, this is a point where we can consider this a call, of, call to action. What do we do? So point three is, hate your sin. Hate your sin. Psalm 4.4, David writes, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. So this is kind of, the tone of this changes just a little bit, right? But keeping this context in mind with who David is writing to and what David has already stated, David's still writing out a prayer. During this prayer, his desire is to give honor and glory to the Lord and David is still recognizing this distinction, again, between the godly and the ungodly. David's recognizing this distinction between him who has salvation and his foes who do not. David is still, he's building up this plea for this army of Absalom to repent and turn towards the Lord. So when we think of this feeling of being angry, we probably immediately start to think of negative annotations that naturally flow from this feeling of anger. However, Anger is not wrong in and of itself. Now, this idea of righteous anger should be present in our lives when we are fighting against our sin. Now, John Owen, who's a famous dead guy, famously wrote in the book, The Mortification of Sin, he writes, quote, Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. End quote. When we despise something, do we look or actively seek to get rid of it? No. Putting to death our sin is an ongoing battle that requires active work. John Piper also wrote, quote, Killing sin is not optional. This is mortal combat. Sin dies or we die. We refuse to settle with sin. End quote. David's words here are a call towards repentance to these men. He's telling these men to hate their sin. And when we start to look at these verses, at verse 4 in depth, there's a lot of parallelism between the verbs that are being used. There's a lot of poetry here. The parallels are being angry and not sinning, pondering in your heart and remaining silent. Now listen carefully when I say that our attitude towards our sin should not to be to silence it or to bottle it up and hide it. You know, if you get, quote, uh, turn to book of Colossians, Colossians 3, Read verse, verses 5 through 10. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality and purity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put all put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the, after the image of its creator. Now, our attitude towards our sin should be to fight it and fight actively against it and actively seek to rid our lives of our sin. 
Now, Paul tells us, he says, put to death what is earthly in you. Put them all away. Now, David writes that, our, that we should be pondering in our own hearts, on our beds. We should be thinking through our sin and seeking ways to rid ourselves of it. So when David writes that we should be silent, this silence is not this physical idea or in a sense of noise. Right? This silence is a call for you to stop the excuses, to literally shut up. Quit attempting to justify your behavior in your sin. Put that to death. Right? So despite what some hip mega pastor or mega church pastor recently said on Twitter recently, the Lord is actively working in our hearts and in the Christian's lives to change us. It is this idea of asking the Holy Spirit to take from us this heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. That is a transformation. The hatred of our sin should move us to seek the Lord and to move towards the comfort of a merciful Savior. You guys see where David is starting to, to set up a call for these men to repent? He's, he's wanting these men to repent to turn from their sins. You know, in this instance within Psalm 4, this army is uttering falsehood against an image bearer of God and is thus sinning against the holy and perfect Lord. Our point number four is going to be another call to action. The point four, come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. David, Psalm 4, verse 5 writes, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now, if we haven't quite yet seen the call from David for this army to repent, I really hope we see it now. Right? Again, this Selah word, is going to indicate a change in tone in this psalm. I see, though David is still giving these men an exhortation, he has now shifted from a call to repentance towards an invitation to come to the Lord. David, here, he's, he's been comparing and contrasting these two people groups still. Right? So we have the godly and the ungodly. He wants these men to stop their hatred. He wants these ungodly men to stop their hatreds and to submit to the lordship of, Christ, of God. So David, he wants them to offer right sacrifices and to wholeheartedly and sincerely trust the Lord. Now, what does David mean by this idea of right sacrifices? Now, let's take a moment. Let's all turn to Hebrews 4, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, looking at verse 4 through 10. So Hebrews 10, verses 4 through 10. So we hear the author of Hebrews has given us some information on what the Lord commanded when a sacrifice was to be made in the Old Testament. So Hebrews 10, verses 4, starting in verse 4, he says, the author says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. And then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that... And by that will we have been uh, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So this portion of scripture that we see in our Bibles, you probably see it formatted a little differently. Um, 
that portion of Scripture is actually being quoted from Psalm 40, a psalm that David also wrote. So in Psalm 40, 6 and 8, is that section that is being quoted by David. So the author of Hebrews is writing here to point to the perfect sacrifice. right? This perfect sacrifice that was completed by the obedience and the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So focus in on, on Hebrews 10.9. It says to do away with the first in order to establish the second. The first is the Levitical sacrificial system. So when David writes in Psalm 40, Concerning the sacrifices, he's recognizing that just by providing a sin offering was not going to be considered a right sacrifice. Right? But these sacrifices were to be made, were to be made with a sincere heart and a, and a trust in the Lord to blot out these sins. So Christ has paid this sacrificial payment that is required for our sins to be forgiven. Right? So without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Now, therefore, our responsibility now is to trust in the God of the Bible. You know, trust in His Word and all of His decrees and submit and to literally to place ourselves under the Lordship of Christ. So our fifth point, the Lord is infinitely glorious. Going back to a characteristic of the Lord. The Lord is infinitely glorious. Psalm 4 Verses 6 through 7. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. David's starting to begin to close out this prayer. Right? But while closing out this prayer, he's, he's reshifting his focus back to this, this prayer, right? So we've seen this exhortation. He opens with a prayer. He gives an exhortation. Now he's starting to close with this prayer. Right? But during this portion of Psalm, this is where we see the heart of David revealed. And we read and we can see his desire in his prayer that the Lord will reveal himself to the skeptics who are doubting the goodness of the Lord. Right? These skeptics, at this point, they're mocking David. And they're also mocking the Lord. Right? So David is here writing that the Lord has granted him more joy. The Lord has granted more joy in David's heart than when their wine and their strong drink were abundant. See, we're never content when we attempt to fill our discontentment with strong drink or, or just really any earthly desire. And eventually, those no longer do it for us, right? So we get into this circular motion where we just desire more and more and more and more, and it never ends. Right? So David, he's wanting to reveal He's wanting the Lord to reveal His glory and to look favorably upon His enemies. Right? David, David writes, Lift up the light of your face upon us. Now, do we know where we've seen this language before? I'll turn to the number 6. Number 6, I want to read the blessing that Moses spoke upon the people. Number 6, in verses 22 through 26, we read, Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So how familiar is this language being used by David from the Arianic blessing? This blessing starts with a general blessing in Numbers 6.23, but then moves to a blessing that can only be grasped 
and understood if you are a child of God. This Arianic blessing is still read amongst churches today. It's not uncommon to have this read, this portion of Scripture read as a benediction. So we are asking the Lord to keep us and to be gracious to us, to comfort us and to give us peace. So when David quotes from this Arianic blessing, he's differentiating the joy that he has with the joy, I'm sorry, the differentiating the joy that he has, the joy that can only come from the Lord to the joy of their harvests. Right? Where their sin and their strong or their wine and their strong drink were abundant. Right? David's telling them that this joy, they don't compare. Right? He tells them that he has more joy than they do. Right? Their joy does not even come close to the joy that David has. Now, the Lord, the Lord desires us to look towards him for the joy that is not found in earthly things, that is not found in strong drink, it's not found in our sin. Now, there's a joy that is only revealed by the Lord, by the glory of the Lord. Right? Unless the Lord opens our hearts and reveals to us His glory, we will never comprehend what David is sharing here. Now, this last point, this is giving another call to action here. Worship the Lord. So point number six is worship the Lord. David writes in Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So just following a reference to this benediction, David is revealing the heart of someone who trusts in the Lord. Right? And peace are the words that David uses. In peace, he can rest while an army is searching for him to do him harm. Right? David's heart and his mind are set to worship and honor the Lord. Right? And all that David does, he's wanting to worship and honor the Lord. So he ends, his, he ends his prayer here going back to praising God. He ends his prayer going back to praising God for the work that the Lord has done in his life. See, David, he was not concerned for his life in this prayer. The main portion of this, of, of this prayer is, is the benediction, right? So he's not concerned for his life. He's concerned for the lives of those who are actively seeking to do him harm. Right? So he opens up the psalm of prayer. And he's closing the psalm with a prayer. Right? We know that David was not worried about his life because at the very end of this prayer, he says he's going to lie down and he will sleep. Right? His desire is for these men to turn to Christ, to hate their sin and to come to the Lord. And I think, church, we need to adopt this mindset, the same mindset that David has, that while his enemies are seeking him. Now, throughout this psalm, David has continued to honor the Lord and he's pointed out some important characteristics. See, the Lord is the God of our salvation. He's the one who grants us our righteousness and he's the one who comforts us. The Lord is also the joy of our salvation. And because our sin separates us from the Lord, we need to be killing sin. Killing sin daily. Killing sin daily and turning to Christ with an attitude of worship. An attitude of complete surrender to him. So I ask again, what do we think of the Lord when we are in the face of opposition? Do we trust that the Lord will be our comforter and our provider? Or do we stay up all night stressing about scenarios that may never occur? So remember these words of David, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Know that the Lord, regardless of the circumstances that are thrown 
And us, you know, regardless of the difficulties and the wickedness that surrounds us and really surrounds God's people wherever we go, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Right? This intimate knowledge that David is expressing here, this intimate knowledge that we can have with our Lord grants us peace beyond any explanation. Right? Christ is king, and he continues to reign and has dominion over our lives and over our circumstances. So worship the Lord. No, no matter the circumstances, worship the Lord. No matter the hardships, worship the Lord. No, here today, surely, we're going to be taking communion, and this is a great time to really be reminded of what the Lord has done in our lives and, and to be thankful for the price that He's paid on behalf of our sins. Right? If you've not trusted the Lord and He is not king of your life, I encourage you to turn from your sin, to hate your sin like David has pleaded with his army who wants to hurt him. Come and see and experience His glory and place your undivided and unwavering trust in the Lord. See, when He is our God, when Christ is King, His glory is more than enough. Right? We no longer just need to seek after these worldly things or worldly comforts to provide for us. Right? We can come to Christ with our brokenness and our empty hearts because the penalty for our sin has already been paid. Christ said, Come to me all who are labor and all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So will you come to Christ's day? Will you put to death your sin? And will you worship the King in all His glory? Let's pray. Lord, You are so merciful and so gracious to us. God, will You help us to remember like David remembered that though difficulties and hardships they surround us, we can trust with comfort in you, Lord, that we may be a people, may we be people that do not worry about the unknown because you have shown time and time again how glorious you are. Lord, I pray for those who do not honor and worship you, that I pray that they will submit to you this day, that they will submit to your lordship and call you king. Now we thankful for you and for providing Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, God. Pay the penalty for our sins that we should have had to pay on that cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.